You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. This is a terrible, ghastly global catastrophe. And uh, so we really do appeal to all world leaders, stop using lockdown as your primary control method, develop better systems for doing it, work together and learn from each other. But remember, lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. Now, that wasn't written or spoken by one of the many local uh, anti-lockdown activists, by Professor David Nabarro, the world's highest-ranking expert on COVID-19. He has said that the World Health Organization doesn't advocate lockdowns. Professor Nabarro dropped this bombshell in an interview with uh, Andrew Neil for Britain's Spectator TV. Nabarro is uh, the WHO's special envoy on COVID-19 and directly advises the organization's uh, director general. And as much of the world gears up for a second round of lockdowns and restrictions on everyday life grow ever tighter, a group of infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists have come together to propose an alternative. The Great Barrington Declaration was spearheaded by Martin Kulldoff from uh, Harvard Medical School, Sinetra Gupta from Oxford University, and Jay uh, Bhattacharya from Stanford University Medical School. And it's named after the place it was signed, famed as the best small town in America, Great Barrington, Massachusetts. The declaration believes that those who are at low risk of dying from COVID-19 should be allowed to live their lives and enjoy freedoms that are now restricted. Well, we're joined now by uh, Professor Kulldoff, who is a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, a biostatistician and epidemiologist in the division of uh, pharmacoepidemiology and pharmacoeconomics at Brigham and Women's Hospital. His research centers on developing and applying new disease surveillance methods for post-market drug and vaccine safety surveillance and for the early detection and monitoring of infectious disease outbreaks. And two of the three prominent South Africans who have lent their support to the declaration, financial services entrepreneur Magda Verzika, founder of Signia, and Nick Hudson of think tank Panda. Professor Kuldoff, uh, quite an extraordinary about turn from the World Health Organization, which we'll come to. But firstly, can you just tell us what led up to the formulation of the Great Barrington Declaration and what prompted you and your colleagues to make this public stand now? Well, it has been a very stunning uh, uh, six to eight months uh, observing the discussions about COVID-19. One of the basic public health principles is that we should never look only at one disease. We have to look at health as a whole. And we can't just look short term, we have to look long term. Uh, with the lockdowns, there has been enormous collateral damage throughout the world, uh, different in different countries. But uh, when you have lockdowns, you have fewer uh, medical visits. So there's uh, worse outcomes for cardiovascular disease. Uh, childhood vaccination rates goes, goes down. Uh, cancer screenings are postponed or, or not being done. That doesn't lead to mortality this year, but uh, somebody who would have survived 15, 20 years might now die, die three to five years from now. Uh, the mental health issues are enormous. And in many parts of the world, uh, there are uh, people who, don't, who cannot afford to buy food. So uh, children are going hungry, uh, or in some cases, even starving. So the collateral damage of the lockdowns are enormous and very tragic, and that needs to be taken into the equation. The other issue is that lockdowns are not the best way to deal with COVID-19. Uh, lockdowns can push things in the future, but it's not going to uh, make the, if, uh, the disease go away. So if we want to minimize the death from COVID-19, 
there are two things we should not do. We shouldn't do nothing, because if you do nothing, some old and some young will be affected, and then among the old, a lot of people are going to die. If we do a general lockdown or general uh, measures, preventive measures, then we push things in the future, but in the end, some old and some young are going to be infected. A lot of old are going to die. On the other hand, if we do a focused protection, so the difference in risk, well, everybody can get the disease, everybody can get infected, but the difference in mortality is more than thousandfold between the old and the young. So if we can protect the old uh, specifically and focus the protection of them, then what we can happen is a few old, because we can't do complete protection, but a few old are going to be affected, and a few are going to die. But most infected are going to be in, among the young, and they're going to survive because for children, for example, the risk is less than the annual influenza. And that, by shifting sort of the burden of infection from the old to the young, we are reducing mortality uh, from COVID-19. So it has beneficial both in terms of COVID-19 and in terms of collateral damage to do a, a focus protection where we focus the protection on the old and other high-risk groups. And if you look at that, so when you define the vulnerable, how do you propose to uh, protect uh, the, the old and those with comorbidities? So it depends on their living situation and their work situation. If they are in nursing homes or other uh, care settings, what's critical is to... Uh, uh, unless the staff is already immune, to do frequent testing of staff as well as test the visitors. Also to reduce uh, staff turnover. So those are key measures in that setting. Uh, in settings uh, where they live alone or with other older people uh, at home, it's important to help them with grocery shopping, other things, so that they do not have to be out and about as much as they otherwise would have to, to be. For people who are in their 60s or still working, the key is to make sure that they, if they cannot work from home, then uh, maybe to provide us the financial resources that they can take a three to six months uh, sabbatical while the disease is transmitting among the younger. And then when there's enough immunity in the population, then they can sort of uh, get back to normal and they are protected uh, by the herd immunity. Herd immunity is something that we saw uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization uh, come out uh, and um, strongly uh, question the media statement, which uh, we'll come to. He says it's uh, never been used to combat a pandemic uh, in the past, and he questions whether or not herd immunity is an effective strategy. But Nick, I just want to bring you in here and, uh, and make the link here between PANDA and the Great Barrington Declaration. I believe uh, the doctor sits on your board. How was that um, first conversation sparked? How did you make the link uh, with uh, the scientists uh, that form the bulk of the Great Barrington Declaration? I think it's been a union many months in the making because you know we have been since May advocating a targeted approach, uh, pointing out the incredible de devastation and mortality that would flow from lockdowns. And over time in social media space, we gradually sorted out who, who else in the world was saying the same thing. And over time, we came to each other's attention. There's a process of getting to know the parties, building up some trust. And then we were very pleased to see Dr. Kuldorf and Dr. Gupta and, and Dr. Bhattacharya uh, joining forces. And a couple of weeks before the, the Great Barrington Declaration was signed, we actually invited them to 
joined Panda's Scientific Advisory Board, which is something we desperately needed because although we've been working closely with uh, professionals from the fields of medicine and epidemiology, in most cases they've been unable or unwilling to put their names on, attach, to attach their names to our cause uh, because there's such a culture of, um, of cancelling such individuals and kicking them out of their institutions simply for holding mm. um, opposing opinions. And that's particularly uh, disturbing because, you know, it's, if, if there's one side of this debate that has gone against the science, it's the pro-lockdown debate, the, the, the pro-lockdown side. You know, prior to coronavirus, it was the unanimous policy of the World Health Organization and the CDC and any number of epi epidemiological journalists and specialists, sorry, uh, journals and specialists that uh, lockdowns or quarantining of the healthy should simply never be undertaken. Um, so we're delighted. We're delighted to have the professors on board with us. Uh, we were looking forward to working with them very closely to, to end some of this madness and to restore some, restore some sanity to the universe. And we'll, we'll be adding some more people to our advisory board in the next couple of weeks. You say that, but the madness does continue. Uh, Magda, you're in the UK at the moment, uh, in London, where uh, the, the PM is running around uh, proposing another lockdown in the face of uh, what uh, Dr. Koldorf has just explained is uh, very poor evidence uh, and science behind lockdowns. Uh, why do we see this becoming such a politicized issue from your perspective? I, I think, you know, what we are now seeing is a bit of a doubling down. So I think it's a little bit ironic, you know, obviously South Africa, and I was in South Africa during the lockdown and, you know, between March to, to the beginning of August. And it was very clear from coming from investment and macroeconomic background, it was very clear to me right up front um, that this was the wrong strategy for an emerging market, you know, simply because obviously we, we're looking at the macroeconomic secondary effects. So it's everything from poverty, hunger, unemployment, you know, recession and all the, the, the kind of macroeconomic factors associated with the devastation that a lockdown would cause and you know i tried to take legal action you know i was told i would lose um but you know it's ironic now that be it with hindsight you know the south african government seemed to have seen sense and has unlocked the economy but unfortunately that isn't helpful in the context of the fact that the developed world is going into a second lockdown right now because i don't believe that south africa will go into lockdown again and yet you know we are leading this charge from south africa um the developed markets uh the politicians are panic stricken they are motivated by and pulled in different directions by different interest groups as well as social media um and what you are seeing you know in the uk is completely that we have Boris Johnson thrashing around, changing his mind, introducing ridiculous measures in a fragmented manner. Um, and the problem we, we're facing with this lockdown situation is that as much as South Africa might have unlocked its economy, um, it's useless in the face of lockdowns without major trading partners where there is you know, so much macroeconomic and economic disruption worldwide mm. caused by politicians. And, you know, the one thing that I don't understand in all of this is how compliant people actually have been with laws introduced by politicians who, you know, three or four 
eight months ago, you didn't necessarily support or have much respect for. All of a sudden, someone tells you there's a curfew and everyone, like a sheep, goes home and stays at home from six o'clock. So even in the face of overwhelm, because, and again, you know, in March, maybe politicians had scope to panic because there was so little information on the table. In October, where we know exactly who the vulnerable are, we know exactly what works and what doesn't, we know what mortality rates are. Um, I cannot believe that we are resorting back to the same strategies that were adopted in March, because there's no excuse any longer beyond stupidity and panic. On that point, uh, Dr. Kuldorf, um, the head of the World Health Organization believes that we still know very little, that we cannot be assured of any kind of uh, herd immunity and we are also not certain that lockdowns are ineffective according to his media statement uh, the world health organization seems to be doubling down uh, i thought it was a good uh, message from the world health organization that uh, we should not do lockdown that they do not urge countries to do lockdowns. so i think that was a very positive statement in terms of herd immunity it's very strange that after more than half a year in this pandemic people still talk very strangely about it because herd immunity is simply a scientific fact and phenomena that we know exists, just like gravity in physics. So, uh, uh, and with this pandemic, we're going to reach herd immunity sooner or later, whatever strategy we use. So it's not, a, it doesn't make sense to talk about a herd immunity strategy. That would be like two pilots discussing, well, uh, we're not up in the air. Should we use the gravity strategy to get down on the ground? Uh, we will get down on the ground no matter what, in one way or the other. And uh, uh, it's a question of minimizing mortality and, uh, and uh, reach, uh, reaching the end of this pandemic with the minimum number of mortality. That should be our goal. Dr. Kuldorf, the the one thing that isn't clearly mentioned in the declaration is mass testing and contact tracing as tools here it seems to be a major part of most government strategies if you just look at uh, magda you're in the uk the british government has spent more on its contact tracing system than it spent on the 2012 olympics do you think that this will work or is it misguided well first of all uh, testing is important in some settings like uh, for protecting nursing homes and obviously in hospitals for treatment but to do mass testing of asymptomatic school children or university students, there's no public health reason for that. And when it comes to contact tracing, uh, that's a method that's critically important to combat certain infectious diseases. For example, when we had a few cases of Ebola in the United States, I know you didn't have anything in South Africa, but in the United States we had a few cases. In that situation, it's very important to isolate them and then to find out who have they met uh, recently, and then do the contact tracing, which is to talk to them, and then interview them, and test them, and might be isolate them also. So contact tracing is a very important method to uh, contain certain infectious diseases. So it's sort of an important toolbox that technologists have. But, uh, to think that it will work for a pandemic situation where there is already a lot of infections uh, in the population, uh, that's, that's naive. Uh, and uh, Dr. Bhattacharya wrote an excellent explanation of this in a, in a, in a journal, a journal called uh, 
in French Review, where it sort of outlines the argument. And also, it doesn't work for uh, uh, for influenza, for example. Or before we had vaccines, it was it can't be used for things like measles or rubella or any other diseases. So uh, uh, for COVID-19, it's the futile effort to do contact tracing. Uh, very early on, uh, it could have some effect to slow things down. There were very few cases. And uh, potentially, once, there is, uh, once it has ended, one could do it with uh, certain flare-ups. But even that is very hard because there are so many asymptomatic cases and there are so many uh, mildly symptomatic cases, which makes it very, very difficult. The image of Sisyphus springs to mind, uh, pushing that rock uphill in the face of uh, something as virulent uh, as COVID-19. Magda, I want to come back to the issue that you mentioned, that developed markets are now toying with locking down again. You don't think we will lock down again here in South Africa, but we're still operating under level one restrictions. We still have a national state of disaster that we're operating under. That's due to be uh, reviewed or either end on the 15th or extended. Uh, what would you as a, a business to like to see happen from here to do as much as we can to help uh, revive the economy? I think, you know, whatever the remaining lockdown measures uh, remain should obviously be lifted. But I think, you know, by and large, South African economy is back to normal to the extent that it can be back to normal. And given our reliance on services and tourism, obviously there is a whole sector of the economy which is in a catastrophic situation at the moment just because you know that there are no tourists and then i own incompetence in not being able to reopen the skies because the rules are kind of unclear around you know how to tra treat um planes and aeroplane crews i mean that's just absurd so you know as it stands at the moment i think you know you need to tidy up this um the, the unlocking of the economy because they, they do remain these pockets of lockdowns which are ineffectual. Look, lockdown in South Africa was always going to be ineffectual. In fact, you know, if you look at South Africa, it's a Sweden. We had a lockdown of which affected possibly 10% of the population, the middle classes, which are teeny tiny in South Africa. 90% of our population in townships was in no position to lockdown. So they never did. And if you actually look at the um, test, antibody test percentages that are coming out of townships where they're testing HIV positive people, pregnant women, anything ranging from 45 to 60 percent that I've read um, of people and are testing positive for, for COVID-19, that basically means this disease has swept through South Africa. It is a lot more infectious and a lot more asymptomatic than we expected before. So as far as South Africa is concerned, I think government now will extend the state of disaster because I think that gives them a tools to, you know, to play with should they wish to. But uh, I don't think we will go into further lockdowns. And I think that what remains for us to do is to just tidy up the loose ends and, and reopen everything. And obviously subject to social distancing, isolation of the vulnerable, um, and you know all the sensible hygiene measures that we need to take. That but seems to be premised on the fact that the government is taking the right advice, as uh, unfortunately it seems we've lost uh, Dr. Kolder's line there, but we've only got a few minutes left. Nick, the, uh, the fact that we've seen the reconfiguration of the Ministerial Advisory Committee, and uh, if you believe the minister, quite coincidentally, 
those three voices who were quite critical uh, are no longer part of the ministerial advisory committee it doesn't engender a lot of confidence that government is uh, going to get rid of the national state of disaster or, or do an about turn anytime soon yeah i i agree with you michael that's it's very disconcerting to have the good scientists moved off and all the lackeys staying on um this is uh, uh, we we keep hearing from professor karim this ongoing fear-mongering regarding the said the deadly second wave. There have been no deadly second second waves. We are not going to have a deadly second wave. If it's not that, it's the long-term effects. And all this stuff is incredibly duplicitous. At the same time, there are threats of local lockdowns and so on. And there, we hear that there is a massive press, pressure on the testing centers to increase the number of tests that they're doing, which um, we read as an, an effort to get a kind of European-style case-demic going on, where you have a lot of false positives being registered and no deaths. Um, and so we're quite concerned about this, this kind of development. We do not think we are out of the woods yet. The scope for madness is still with us. And um, so we're not going to take our eye off that ball. We will not, not let them get away with, with the thing. Um, it, does, it does have all the, the, the sort of the look and feel of an attempt to keep the state of disaster going. I don't think it makes any sense to do that. We need to we need to free up this com economy, end this ridiculous state of disaster, and get going. Uh, Magda, if the state of disaster is extended, uh, and you certainly are one of the few business leaders that have been prepared to speak out in uh, in the face of uh, irrational decisions, what will you do? Look, I honestly do believe that although that they will extend the state, just simply because it gives them powers they didn't have before. But I don't necessarily agree that we are heading for further lockdowns. I think that there is a very strong realization supported by unions and don't, don't underestimate the voices of unions in terms of government policy shaping. Mm. Um, I think that there is a deep rooted understanding that lockdown is the, not the right strategy for South Africa. And, you know, I also don't believe that there is a second wave. I don't believe there's a second wave in the UK happening. I, all, all that's happening in the UK is they're testing everybody. They're testing everything that moves. You know, they went testing in March. They're testing now. So they're picking up huge amounts of positives without uh, necessarily the, the deaths happening. Um, but I, I think that realization has dawned on South Africa. I think, you know, with our... We're heading for a contraction in GDP of over 8% this year. We're looking at 3 million jobs that have been lost as a consequence of this lockdown. We've already seen social unrest. There will be more. So I don't think this government has appetite for any more lockdowns. Mm. But again, it doesn't help us if the rest of the world is in a lockdown mode because we are reliant on the rest of the world for, for trade and for growth. Nick, final comment, uh, and by all means, let's criticize and let's welcome uh, debate on the issue and uh, criticize governments and the World Health Organization, but we certainly need to improve our decision-making from here. What's the mission of Panda from this point to ensure that there are better decisions made in the future, that um, uh, global bodies, leaders are, are taking advice and we're led by the scientific evidence uh, free of any particular ideological persuasion? Well, we, we've got a multi-pronged approach. So the first thing is just to, is to do whatever we can to end um, the residual madness. So we've got a collective of doctors and lawyers to support those doctors, those doctors in, 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 in speaking out against the craziness that has gone on. 
this huge breach of uh, medical good practice. Um, we want to make sure that those uh, institutions who were foolish enough to go on to go along with the malarkey are taken on, and uh, that they all have institutional uh, change in, in coming their way. Uh, we would like to see uh, the, the the constitutionality of these lockdowns challenged all over the world. Um, we would like to basically inoculate society against future lockdowns. We don't think that they ever have a place in the arsenal of, uh, of, uh, the, of health, health professionals. Um, and it's been just a terribly sad thing that's going to cause much more death and destruction than the d disease ever threatened to. Um, so there's a lot of work there for us. Um, and, you know, part of that work is actually unpacking what happened. How did this happen? That uh, the whole world went mad at the same time and departed from decades of scientific practice. How did all the modelers all make the same mistakes, dramatically overestimating um, the, the impact at the same time and in the same way and in the, in the face of evidence that told them at the time that they were wrong and then continued, you know, that's been the frightening thing here. The NRCDP people are unrepentant. They overestimated um, the hospital and, and the, the healthcare resource demand by a factor of almost 20. And we've known that that's been the case for months, and they just keep on going on trying to rationalize, explain mm. how wonderful they are, they are because they, they chased away the influenza this season and that kind of thing. It's complete nonsense, and they've just been a, a miserable failure at every single level. Lots of searching questions that we are left with. I'm reminded of what Dr. Nabarro said as well. We're going to see a doubling of child malnutrition over the course of next year, thanks to children not accessing their uh, meals at school. It's just one of the effects uh, of lockdown that will be with us for years to come. Uh, that was Nick Hudson of Panda. We we're also joined by uh, Professor Martin Kolder from Harvard Medical School and Magda Verzeka, founder of Signia, uh, talking about the Great Barrington Declaration and uh, the lessons uh, we've learned from a once-in-a-generation mistake.